Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're talking to Lucia. Lucia is a Chief Commercial Officer at Dreams and Dreams is a Swedish fintech or a tech company. We'll find out more. We find out more about financial well-being in B2Cs. Uh, what does that mean? How you should improve it? And uh, why is it important for both the consumers and the banks or the financial institutions? So welcome, Lucia. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Cool. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? How does one become a, a chief commercial officer at Dreams? It sounds like a dream job, right? I've spent the last uh, 12 years or so building enterprise SaaS companies in different industries from e-commerce through MarTech to data infrastructure and have now landed in fintech. I especially really enjoy the creative aspect of working at early stage startups that are shaping new product categories. So I would say that's the common denominator in all of my jobs. And I have all also always been super interested in human psychology and neuroscience. That was like always my passion on the side and, and kind of like examining also the interplay of psychology with technology. Like it's quite accurate. The job at Dreams is really a dream job for me in that. All right. So what is Dreams? How does that work? Is that that you manufacturing mm-hmm. and selling dreams to people or is it something else? Pretty much. Like I, I will have to think about if we can use that as a claim. <laughs> so thanks for the idea. But in a nutshell, so we offer a customer experience layer that enables banks to boost their customers' engagement in financial products and at the same time increase their customers' financial well-being. So essentially... We take the bank's existing financial products and we we package them, we frame them in a way that takes into account how the human brain works and the role that emotion plays in human decision making. And that allows us to be very effective when it comes to helping people to develop healthier financial habits, which then is crucial to eliminate the barriers to engagement that are more often than not, rooted in anxiety and among other negative emotions. So we are tackling the financial well-being problem on the user side, and at the same time, the engagement problem on the bank side. And the value alignment is important because you need the customer's trust to build a lasting relationship, and you can only build that trust by helping the customers to advance towards what's important for them. And then on top of the value alignment, you really need an understanding of human psychology and decision-making to build a solution that is actually effective. And, And so that's why cognitive and behavioral science is such an important part of what we're doing. Yeah, what else? Why why is this important now? Money is the number one stress factor for young adults. 75% name money as their top stress source. 60% lack minimal savings. 
unsecured consumer loans are skyrocketing. So it's a crisis. And it's needless to say that the pandemic didn't help. And meanwhile, major banks still continue to offer complex impersonal financial services that fail to engage their customers and fail to support their customers. And they see especially the young generation flocking to the fintech competitors, which given that $30 trillion of assets are expected to switch hands in the next 20, 30 years during the upcoming wealth transfer, is obviously a big problem for banks that are not able to attract the next generation. So that's what we're solving for. We're solving a problem for the user and the challenge for the banks at the same time. When it comes to the functionality, our product suite includes different modules that you can use individually or in combination. We have a savings booster, we have a debt management product and an investment product. And as a bank, you can easily plug in and embed these into your application on top of the existing functionality. All right. So we'll dig into it a bit more, but uh, let's also talk about you a little bit longer. What is your role at Dreams? And what does that mean, Chief Commercial Officer in day-to-day life? Yeah, Chief Commercial Officer means that I'm responsible for all commercial aspects of our B2B business, from marketing through sales to customer success. It means that I spend a lot of time talking to existing and potential clients and a lot of time thinking about how we can align the bank's and users' interests and also how we can translate the value that we provide for the end user into business value even more effectively. So it's a that's that's my day to day and sometimes also what I dream about it. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> many incumbents or incumbent banks have become product factories over many years, right? The product range is tremendous compared to most of the mm-hmm. fintechs and being client centric is something that is more understood or associated with the fintechs though where the product range is a bit narrower. So mm-hmm. who are your target clients? Is that the incumbents or or the fintechs, or both? How does that work? Or the end users? Yeah, so we target primarily incumbent banks. Not that we would not be open to working with fintechs, but incumbents still have a larger customer base. So that makes sense from a scale perspective for us. And they know that the time is ticking. And I think it's not like being customer-centric is not a priority for them. It's just that it's harder for them to get there for a variety of reasons. And it is becoming more urgent, not least because of the pandemic. So we are really seeing incumbent banks being more open to collaborate. Right, right, right. And what is your unique advantage? Because I've heard of people talking about digital first or cloud native and targeting the younger generation and maybe the even the private banks mm-hmm. or that are targeting the ultra high net worth and high net worth, they know that there will be a generational change and Maybe that uh, that heir to the fortune doesn't really want to hang out with with the middle aged banker over dinner and things like this. So people mm-hmm. invest in in the digital front or sometimes ideally also the what's under the hood. But I haven't heard of people using neuroscience to to improve the experience and engagement. Are you the only one, or if not, then why are you better than the others? Yeah, so like you, you, you got it right. Our unique advantages are a deep understanding of how the human mind works. You could say that the cognitive and behavioral science expertise is embedded in our DNA as a company. It's not just an add-on. It's really the foundation of everything that we do. I think if we're not the only one, we're one of the very few. And the reason for that, for us choosing to focus on science was 
initially the observation that most of the financial institutions currently really miss the mark when it comes to understanding the customers, understanding how they make decisions and how they can effectively support them, which then translates into a very poor customer experience that is not effective. And, and it's very interesting to observe, I think, how there is a lot of focus lately in the industry on leveraging data and AI as the holy grail of personalization, which is not wrong per se. Obviously, data is extremely powerful, but it's also not enough by itself. And I would go as far as to argue that AI should be the second step, not the first one, because first you need to understand the human psychology and decision-making and the factors that influence it and develop an engagement concept around that on a macro level. And then in the second step, leverage AI maybe to drive the personalization even further on a micro level. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. We are starting with the understanding of how the human mind works and develop the whole experience around that. And then on top of that, we add an additional layer of intelligence driven by data. So you can think of it as a harmonious interplay of psychology and technology. And I'm biased, but to me, it sounds like such an obvious thing to do, to take the human psychology into account. It's a no-brainer, right? Like, why, why wouldn't you do it? But I really don't know any other vendor that is really doing it and applying that knowledge holistically. I'm sure you have some gamification here and some nudging there, like people are doing that, but no, no products that are developed around how the human mind works in the first place. I suspect it might be because it's really hard to do. It requires serious commitment. And also, I would say that the scientific way of working doesn't really mesh naturally with the way of working, with the tech way of working, and definitely not with the bank way of working. So you have to figure that out. And that might be the reason why the industry as a whole isn't quite there yet. All right. Very interesting. I've seen also an article that you published, right, in the Harvard Business Review, mm -hmm. why banks must start caring about financial well-being. And there you quote that the emotionally engaged clients are 35% more valuable than the highly satisfied customers. So mm -hmm. first of all, how come? And then, yeah, speaking as a skeptical banker, I would ask you, why 35? Where did you come <laughs> up with that number? And well, why is it not 25 <laughs> or 45? Yeah, I'm like, that's what they measured. It's not our study. So like, we can only trust it or not, uh, depend, like up to you. But the emotional connection is important because emotions are a central element that drives our decision making and behavior. And we know that feeling confident, happy and valued are the most reliable predictors for customer engagement. So there's no such thing as homo economicus. We are all driven by emotions if, if we like to believe it or not. And what's important to understand from a bank perspective is that our limbic system that is in charge of emotional regulation, it doesn't speak to banking lingo and doesn't understand rational arguments and it doesn't understand charts. So that's why you need to address it on a different level when you want to talk to your customers' emotions and not necessarily provide them more information. So one of the things that we are focusing on is reinforcing positive emotions. We never give the users negative feedback. We never tell them what they should be doing or should not be doing, what they're doing wrong, how bad their finances are, that they should be saving. So we, we always help them focus on the positive. We help them to picture, to visualize their future. 
we help them to celebrate small victories. We boost their skills. We boost their confidence. And we show them that they are really better at managing their finances than they thought they were. And by doing that, we create a virtuous cycle where more positive emotions drive more engagement. And then that drives their financial well-being. And the higher their financial well-being, the higher the positive emotions. So it's really a flywheel that is self-reinforcing. So that's why you need to start with emotion. But interestingly, once the customers are emotionally engaged, they become more receptive to information as well. And they are overall more likely to respond positively to upsells and cross-sells. So that's what's driving the customer lifetime value of emotionally engaged customers. All right. So if we pick an example of a service or a product that you provide for a bank, is it something like basically creating a storyline where you show the customer, let's say, this is the house you could have if you save 5% more or something like this. And that could be a content marketing campaign or somehow embedded into communication channels. Is that something like this? Yeah, something like that. So basically, regardless of what kind of financial products they are engaging with, if it's an underlying savings product or investment product or mortgage, the customer journey in dreams always starts with the customer creating a dream. So like we nudge them to visualize it. And like it's not us telling them how their dream house should look like. It's them who upload their own picture. So like they really emotionally connect to, to the goal, to the dream they have, which helps them to also develop more empathy with their future selves, which is an important concept in neuroscience. Right. I guess it has to be realistic, though, because people would come up with, with Federer type of villa or a Djokovic type of villa, and then you need to go back on a tennis court and then hit a bit more balls as well, right? Not just to, to visualize and then save more. You need to also yeah. create more revenue. Yeah, but we also help help them to break it down and to help them build the skills that they need to reach their goals. Mm-hmm. So like and especially like if it's if it's bigger dreams or like if you're saving for your pension, like it's so far ahead, like it's it's almost like you're saving for a different person, right? So especially in those cases it's really hard to it's really um hard to connect to to the future self, so it's important to break it down into smaller goals, smaller mi- milestones. And then to get positive feedback, small progress towards that goal. All right. Understood. How do you apply the neuroscience in your work, though? When you develop these, uh, do you bring together some focus groups and then you work together with the bank on potential products and, and this dreamification, let's call it? How does that work in real life? Yeah, so I'm like there. There is a variety of things that we are doing. Uh, so first of all, we have an uh, in-house science team that is working on this day in day out, and is also doing research in that area. And then on the other hand, looking at how can we operationalize the, the latest scientific insights in our UX, which is a challenge in itself. We are also collaborating with leading researchers in the field, among others from Harvard, UCLA, and the University of Toronto who are using our app as a test bed for their studies. So we, we get the scientific insights years ahead before they are published. And then, yeah, so like it, it, it's really like a variety of methods. Like we do, of course, qualitative user research. And we have quantitative data from, from the actual uh, usage of our app that is in production. And uh, yeah, like a couple of other things that uh, are our secret sauce, I would say. So I don't want to go into too much details, but maybe to, to give you uh, a couple of, examples of what the science in action looks like. So for example, we never talk about money in an abstract way. 
we help people to emotionally contextualize financial goals by visualizing them as dreams. And as I said, that helps them to develop empathy for the future self, which is important to overcome the present bias and to stay committed, especially when temptations arise along the way. And from a psychological perspective, asking the customers to envision their future is an example of intrinsic motivation activation. And also, overall, we heavily leverage emotion as the main driver for decision-making and behavioral change. So this is, for example, reflected... Sorry, do you have a question? Well, I just wanted to ask you also about concerns about privacy and transparency, because what you talk about is, is all quite personal, right? So are people that are working with you happy with uh, sharing all of that as well, right? Because it's maybe even harder to imagine how these dreams or these uh, statements about where I want to get to get translated into products. And you mentioned before potential mm-hmm. for upselling and, and cross-selling of financial products, which of course is great for the banks, but you need to also find the right balance, right? Because it, it happens with airlines, for example, right? You have a cheap air ticket and then as you're checking out, they say, do you want a car to rent a car as well? Do you want this and that? Then they ask you 15 times. That's maybe a bit too much. But if they ask you once or twice, it maybe it's okay price to pay for such a low air ticket anyway. So how do you balance the what you do with the heightened concerns for privacy, transparency, and mm-hmm. sometimes maybe people being bombarded by the offers to ups- upsell and cross-sell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think what's really important is that you always keep the customer's best interests in mind and that they trust you that you have their best interests in mind. Because as long as you're nudging them towards something that is good for them and they know is good for them and it will increase their financial well-being, I would say that the concern is not as big as if you would do something that like is not in line with their best interests. And I think it's an important topic because with great power comes great responsibility. And especially when you look at the buy now, pay later market or some of the investment apps like Robinhood, there are many players out there that are making it very convenient, very fun and very engaging for customers to do the wrong thing, which is A, morally questionable and B, not a sustainable business strategy either. Sure, it's very lucrative in the short term, but if you want to maximize the customer lifetime value over the long run, you need alignment with your customer's best interest. And and that's why we emphasize the financial well-being aspect and why we never nudge the customers towards anything that is not in their best interest. Understood. And uh, well, let's go back to how the banks do it today and how you are doing it. We talked about examples, how you develop, how you work on the engagement, the financial well-being. Mm-hmm. But when the products are designed today, and let's say you look at the bank that wasn't in touch with you uh, you know, before, what do you see typically where the banks have some common miscon- misconceptions about whether that savings product or uh, lending or investment products, and maybe it was all right 10, 20 years ago, but nowadays things are different. Where do you see that um, the design of the products is uh, it should be better uh, using neuro- neuroscience and the, and the mm-hmm. approach that you have? I would say the most common misconception is that more information helps people make better decisions. And it actually is not only not true, 
it, it can even backfire. So first of all, increasing the cognitive load when people are already overwhelmed is likely to inhibit their decision-making, not help it, especially when you're using a language that people don't understand. And we've seen in our user research that many people even struggle to conceptualize what interest rate really means. And then especially when people are anxious thinking about their finances, which around 50% of people are throwing more information at them is going to paralyze them completely and cause ostrich behavior, which makes things worse. And I guess the same in other areas of life. So for example, I have to admit, I have put on some weight during the pandemic. Do I want to step on a scale to know how much exactly? Absolutely not. I already feel bad enough. And I definitely wouldn't appreciate my partner pointing it out. And I, I guess you can confirm all men know this instinctively, that it's a really bad idea and not good for a relationship to point it out. And yet the standard approach to help people get their finances on track is to shovel it in their face just how much they suck at it. Like give them more information, more graphs, more charts, make mm -hmm. them feel really overwhelmed and self-conscious and then wonder why it's not working. And it's not working because people shut down when they're anxious and stressed. And so that's the first thing that you need to tackle to even make them receptive to information. And to be fair, there is some evidence that financial literacy initiatives can be somewhat effective when people have already reached a certain level of financial well-being, but they are not a good place to start. And so from a perspective of neuroscience, you basically need to address people's amygdala and limbic system before feeding their prefrontal cortex with anything. So to put it simply, the, the cortex, your analytical decision-making center, is only in charge when nothing significant is bothering you. And that's why you need to start with emotions and take away the anxiety first. And that's why many, for example, PFM tools face an engagement problem because they quite literally make people want to run away. Okay, understood, understood. But let's be practical as well. And how do you mm -hmm. make money, though? What is your business model? Yeah, so we have a software as a service model. So that means we charge banks a subscription fee for using our platform to offer it to their customers. So you, it's quite productized then, right? You don't have to do workshops and do a consulting job for each and every bank. I guess there is some customization, but you try to keep as much as possible productized, right? Yeah, so I would say like 90% of our knowledge is productized in, in our platform. And then the rest of the 10% is a bit of consulting that we offer to the banks when it comes to developing the marketing campaigns and to make the marketing campaigns really effective. Okay, brilliant. And where are you on your journey in terms of whether it's fundraising or hiring? So we have been live in the Nordics with the B2C product since 2016. So the product is quite mature. Uh, it's currently used by half a million customers in Sweden and Norway. For our global expansion, we have chosen a B2B strategy and we have just launched our B2B platform with the first bank client in Ukraine earlier this year, which makes dreams available to 2 million more users. And looking forward, we are focusing on the B2B business development, primarily in Europe and the US for now. But ultimately, we want to offer our platform to banks worldwide. When it comes to our hiring situation, we're always looking uh, for more people. We're around uh, 100 people right now. But um, yeah, especially if you're interested in uh, business development and uh, joining the uh, commercial team on the B2B side, you're welcome to 
to get in touch with me. And in terms of investment, we have raised around 30 million euros so far. But yeah, same for investors. If this is something that's interesting to you, uh, feel free to get in touch for the next round. Brilliant. Great to hear uh, that you're going international, especially because in Europe, even Sweden is a big country, maybe not enough people, right? So you need to go outside as well. So you make enough return mm-hmm. for your investors and yourselves. To change tack, as, we, as we're going to wrap up, if you were to go to the beach this summer, let's see, what sort of a nonfiction book would you take with you? Yeah, I'm really a bookworm, so it's a it's a hard choice. Like usually, my my luggage is packed with books, but um, Ch- change to Kindle is my advice. Anyway, sorry for a product promo here, but that's what I have. <laughs> I am I am very very old school. I don't like Kindle. I have bought it and I've never used it. So I I actually pack books uh, for every vacation. Um, okay. but so if I only have to choose one, I I won't go for a business book. I have a bunch of business books that I really like, but I would choose The Mind Illuminated by John Yates, just because getting into meditation, I would say, has been the single most impactful discovery for me. And the book offers a very detailed guide and is packed with neuroscientific knowledge. So it offers great access for the very rational and analytical people like myself. So I can I can recommend to give it a go if you haven't. Okay, brilliant. No, I don't know it, but I'll put the notes in the in the show notes. So that's uh, fantastic. So thank you very much, Lucia. Maybe one last question is, where do interested parties reach you? What's the best way to to get in touch? You can reach out through our website, getdreams.com, or just directly drop me a message at lucia at getdreams.com. If you're a potential customer, investor, or a great candidate, I'm usually very responsive. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lucia, and good luck to Dreams. Thanks for having me. Keep on dreaming. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.